welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, and this is my wonderful co-host, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, hello. A new intro this week. Oh, you gotta mix it up. Speaking yeah. of mixing it up, we have the one, the only, Bill. Welcome, Bill. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> We're happy to have you, Bill. So, Bill, how have you been since I saw you seven hours ago? Uh, more caffeinated. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and uh, did you get to sleep? I mean, did you finish that game before the sunrise? We did. That's a, okay, good. That's a good teaser for what game I played this last week. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, we did. Uh, it took two hours and 40 minutes again. That eliminates Twilight Imperium. It was uh, <laughs> half a game of Twilight Imperium. <laughs> right. Anyway, we'll cover that game soon. Uh, okay. Ben, what have you been up to? Uh, not too much this week. Um, played a couple of games, uh, one in person, one online. And uh, other than that, just been going to work, going home, getting very, very sad that every time I would like to go disc golfing and the weather seems like it would cooperate, it suddenly stops cooperating. Mm. And that's been my life for the last week. What's the temperature mm. like there these days? Uh, it's 65 degrees today, but it's pouring rain. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. Mm. So, and then yesterday it was like 50, it was supposed to be like 52 and sunny. It ended up being more like 30 degrees. So it didn't, <laughs> it didn't really hit that 50 anyway. So, uh, yeah, it's been, been interesting. So, yeah. All right. And Bill, what have you been up to? Uh, not much, just work, board gaming, uh, family things. We're gearing up for my youngest's um, sixth birthday. So just kind of getting family together and getting present ideas together. And my wife is like an amateur baker. So she's been <laughs> test running a bunch of cakes, which Jonah gets to very cool gets to test when i when i throw some at him which yeah, he does very kindly sense. and he doesn't say no i wouldn't say no either yeah as long as there's buttercream on it i'm good oh she did a new buttercream that had a roux so like a flour based roux in it that was just bodied and silky smooth i don't oh know God. did you like it jonah wow bodied and silky smooth <laughs> i know I, i'd I love to be described the way you describe a cake <laughs> Oh, man. It sounds good. I actually did not have any, but I am going to try some of Jessica's slice. Fair enough. When she gets out of bed and has a slice of cake for breakfast. Yeah, because I'm waking you guys up at 7 in the morning. It's all That's my fine fault for today. us. Um, so, <laughs> Bill, we have questions that we like to ask people their first time on the show. but Wait, before time, we wait is that a deck questions? of cards? It is a deck of cards. Oh, those are cool. I like them. Before we get to those questions, while we're talking about cake, this is the perfect time to segue into a game that I played, which is called Best Candy on the Block. Mm. Best Candy on the Block is a trick or treat taking card game. I have decks of cards too. You have decks of cards as well. (laughs) I have mine to show you two, though. I don't know why you have yours there. 
Uh, I keep them in my backpack for reasons unknown, but these are, I replaced these two cause I got them, uh, when, when Ashley and I were in Seattle and we went hiking, I forgot that I had them in my backpack and it started pouring rain and the, the decks completely soaked through and I was very upset about it. So I replaced oh, no. them. So now it's I just like, have them in my backpack. Uh, Rob and Jason's copy of Regicide that fell victim to the pouring Portland rain. Yes. Yep. But that's but you available again. Best now. candy on the block. Yes, exactly. Speaking of sweet things, five minutes ago, my segue, um, I played a game called Best Candy on the Block, the trick or treat taking card game. Uh, so this is designed by someone on the trick taking Discord named John Barron. It is currently mm-hmm. on Kickstarter, and a month or two ago, he sent me a copy to try out. So oh, Best nice. Candy on the Block is a must-follow trick-taking game that is candy-themed, which is delightful. So a bunch of candy cards. Oh, I like and it. it's really interesting because there are different suits in it, but they're kind of like multi-suited cards. So I am showing Bill and Ben a card that has multiple suits. Mm. So it's the number four, but it has a lemon suit, a gummy bear suit, and a little sweet candy suit. And the way it works is it's must follow, but you can choose which of those suits to follow. Are all of the cards multi-suited? I'm glad you ask, because they are not all multi-suited. So this is a neat little game. Uh, The number of cards changes for the different player counts. There are also prank cards and non-candy cards. And in a lot of trick-taking games, if you take too many cards, it's bad, which I'm sure you're both familiar with. And in this, that is called getting a tummy ache because it is a candy-eating trick-taking game. Uh, So yeah, I played it. I think it's really neat. Um, It feels a little looser than some other trick-taking games just because you know if I play a card that has three suits on it, other people can follow with more cards than I might want them to be able to follow with. You know, like in Boast or Nothing, for instance, if I play a red six, I know that something's going to come out either red and lower or a different suit. But there isn't this like huge variety of cards that can be played on it. I see what you're saying. Right. Uh, that being said, I still think it's cool and worth checking out. And the theme is wonderful, especially cool. for people who cool. like sweets. Like you, Ben. I do love sweets. <laughs> sweets are good. Ashley's so sister that. leaves a little bowl of uh, candy out, like on their countertop. So every time I come over, it's dangerous. So this time, it's uh, like the Easter egg M and M's, and also just like the Easter egg chocolate eggs, like the little ones. And I've been attacking that bowl. What is your weekend. opinion on Peeps? And Bill, this question is for you as well. Oh, if um, if this sorry, was not I have a to clear clean... some of the vomit out of my mouth. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> if this was not a family friendly podcast, I would have some words about peeps, but I'll just leave it at peeps are disgusting. I hate peeps, and they make no sense. Right. I knew I saw Ben at the meetings. Uh... The peeps are not not my favorite. They're they are disgusting. I love peeps. Yeah, and the girls <laughs> always ask for them. And my wife gives into it, and then they sit there for six months, and then they mysteriously disappear. And then they're the right consistency to dig into. Oh, 
but I'm but I'm also the person that loves candy corn, so apparently I'm weird. Oh, I love oh, candy corn too. It's interesting. I don't know. I've been told I've got I brought like bags of candy corn into work just to like snack on, and people are like, "That's disgusting. Candy corn's disgusting." Maybe it's, like, it's how uh, you've been eating it at work, just shoveling it into your mouth. No, you have to bite layer <laughs> by layer and take each of the individual layers. Whoa, is that how you do that? That's intense. Occasionally. It depends on which ones I, I'm eating. I have to ask Jessica if she does that, because she eats popcorn one at a time. What? One kernel at a time? <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like the parts that pop and <laughs> like the little like leaves that come off when it pops open. She like mm. bites one of those off until oh. she gets to the center. That's what I thought you meant. Wait, speaking of sweets and weird eating things, Ashley and I, we actually had this discussion with her family the other day. Uh, have you seen how the, not that I follow the Kardashians all that much, have you seen how they eat Kit Kats? Um, I haven't seen how they do anything, to be frank. They, so there was like this whole thing on online, it was a while ago, about how they eat Kit Kats. They like bite, they bite like, first off, they don't break them op- like apart. They leave the stack. They like bite around the outside and then they like scrape the chocolate off with their teeth until it exposes just the wafer. And then they like peel the individual wafer layers inside of the Kit Kat. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That sounds seems... like them doing something for publicity. Could be, but now you know how now you know how a Kardashian eats a Kit Kat. <laughs> well, sounds like a You're welcome. twister there. It could be. So back to board games and the questions that we like to ask people, <laughs> Bill, yeah. uh, sure. since it's your first time on the show, why don't you tell us what game got you into the hobby and what type of games you like to play these days? Oh, um, so I've honestly only been in the hobby not a long period of time. I would I would think like 17, 18, 2000. Um, some friends of ours, We long story short, my wife and I one night turned off the TV, said, we got to start doing something different than TV. Started <laughs> ripping the into TV the TV and looked at each other for the first time. <laughs> exactly. It had been a few <laughs> years. And we just started ripping into some of the board games. And friends of ours turned out to be hobbyist gamers. And so they're like, oh, have you ever played this game called Sushi Go? And so my wife and I both grew up on card games. Not a lot of board games, but card games. And so we just both really enjoyed that. and we kind of dove down the rabbit hole after that and it's been pleasure ever since Delightful. so i'd say sushi, yeah i'd say sushi go was probably the one that really started it um the one that we really deep dive though was scythe um yes we were only about six months into really like i was researching the games we were playing a little bit more consistently weekend gaming with our friends. And then we met a friend of theirs. He's like, oh, you got to try this game called Scythe. And we played it like four times in a row. I went out and bought it so that we could learn how to play it so we didn't look like idiots <laughs> when we sat down at the table. I even watched like a little quick strategy guide. I was like, I got to be on par with all these people around me. Little did I know that no one knew what the hell they were doing. Um, and then like a month after that, we went straight into Fenris and did the whole campaign. Um, and so, yeah, that, I think that's the one that we ended up deep diving initially, but Sushi Go and those little lighter card games really kind of got us into the, 
into the hobby. Awesome. Speaking of scythe, is it true that you do some play testing, or is that in the past? Uh, I haven't in a while, um, and it was more for the Autumn Factory. So when I kind of before I started doing a lot of the board game groups, like with uh, like with Ron, and I have another Monday night group I joined. I was just my wife would be doing things with the kids, and so I would start to do some solo gaming. And then I just signed up for the Automa Factory, and I just started play testing a bunch of their stuff. So Wingspan, Tapestry, you know, you name a lot of those big Stonemeyer games, and I did a bunch of the play testing for that Gaia Project. Um, Whoa, so, neat! Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Awesome. I love to get into play testing. Someone in the trick taking Discord said that they play tested Horseless Carriage. Splatter's oh, game, wow. and they. I asked them how they became a playtester for Splatter, and he said that he plays 18xx online with Jerome like every week. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome! Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't done much in a while, just because I've been doing a lot more board game group stuff. Um, but I did sign up to playtest uh, Lacerda's new game in a in a few months, I think. So, new game. Oh, Ben's paying yeah. attention now. Yeah. <laughs> so, from what I've heard, it's a Civ game. Really? Yeah. I am interested. Yeah. I don't know. I just I put my name on the list, and we'll see what happens. All right. I would love to try playtesting. I just don't feel like I'm the type of person who can playtest a game very well, because I know that I'm not great at, like, really deep diving through a rule book and like learning all of that. So I don't know yes. if I would really be the best play tester for anything. It's interesting because I've done like prototype stuff and I've done a few like, you know, polished up games and some things in between. And it it's really up to the best ones that I think are the ones where the play tester comes with you with questions that they already know, like the feedback they're looking for is very specific and very pointed. It's not like they need you to deep dive the game. They just need you to like, what did you feel about X or how many points yeah. did you get here? And that is very streamlined and smooth. When someone asks for just your opinion, mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of starts to get down a rabbit hole and you know that the game's still a little messy, I guess would be a word. Yeah. I know I play tested... Um, oh man, it, it's kind of bad when I don't even remember the name, but it was that game <laughs> that Greg's friend, Greg's friend was starting up that like superhero type game that felt a little bit like street masters to me. Um, and that was interesting. He didn't have too many specific questions. It was like a very specific like scenario that we were playing though. It was interesting. I enjoyed play testing it. The game wasn't amazing but it was fun to play test it reminds me i actually when i was in australia i play tested australia the martin wallace game oh wow so uh yeah that was a neat experience but that game was very much already like past prototype phase and a nice board and all that stuff so 
did did you notice a difference? Could you discern a difference between the play test and the final version if you've played the final version? Um, I didn't play the final version, but I did look at the... I think it was on Kickstarter, right? <clears throat> yeah. I remember looking at the Kickstarter a month or two later, and everything looked just about the same. I thought it was a really neat game. It has a theme that I tend not to gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. But it had this really interesting... Have you played it? Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. I have not. But we saw it at PAX. You pointed it out at PAX. Yeah, it has this really cool like semi-co-op but not co-op element to it where all the people, all the players are working on their own thing and then once you get to a certain number of points then the old gods just like come into the map and start doing stuff too and they can win instead of you. So at that point, I think, is when it becomes co-op to try and stop them from winning the game. It's interesting. That is really interesting. I don't know of many, I'm not going to say any, because I'm sure that I've played one at some point, but I don't know of many games where the co-op in a semi-co-op comes in at the end. Yeah. Typically it breaks mm. off and you like split partway through the game, but it sounds neat that that's the case. I know um, I'm still waiting on the ever rain. feels like a forever, ever rain, um, which is Ashley's laughing in the background. Applause <laughs> um, around the room. Yeah. But at the ever rain, it's like kind of like the great old ones as well. Um, and you are, I think it's kind of similar because at some point the story progresses and the great old one comes out onto the map, at which point I think they can like kill everybody. Um, But I'm not sure if it's actually like semi-co-op once you hit that point yet, because obviously I haven't played it. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. Australia, if I recall correctly, so Bill, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure like at the, it has like a patchwork mechanism where your the players take turns based on where they are on a certain track, and then I think once you pass like twenty three on that track, there's already the old god disc there, and then they start to take their actions as well. So you also kind of know when it's going to happen, and you can plan your actions around that start. It's cool. I'd check it out, Ben. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Martin Wallace, let's do another beautiful segue into games that we have played. Bill, what have you played recently? Anything by Uh, Martin Wallace? Yeah. (laughs) Hint, hint. Uh, Well, last night uh, I played London 2nd Edition, which is a Martin Wallace game. Uh, When we broke off and did our our games, that was one that, that was there for the infamous dice rolls. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's a really interesting, um, engine building game. So you, uh, basically have a tableau. You, the premise of the game is you're building up, uh, basically the different sections of London boroughs and your, you know, victory points are prestige points, right? So you're gaining these prestige points. Um, the interesting thing about it is you can never really, you're never going to have the same engine all the way to the end of the game. So you're buying cards off of a tableau. All the cards you discard go to a shared tableau that people can pull from. 
So I might discard a card that has victory points on it that doesn't really help me, but someone else might grab it. So there's kind of a thought process there. Um, and there's some just really interesting little mechanics. You can't play a card down to your tableau without playing another, discarding another card that is of the same color. So you're looking at two cards that you really want, but one of them has to go away or else you're just not going to end up playing it. And so you do that until you feel like you've got an engine going and then you run your city and you get all the victory points and money and prestige points out of that as you can. Um, and then basically those cards disappear and you don't use them anymore unless you have some special ability that will flip those back over. Um, and yeah, you just keep building these little engines and breaking these little engines. Um, and you'll probably do that five or six times in a whole game. So it's it it has some interesting little dynamics that you don't see in other card building engine games where you just start building this engine and engine and just starts exploding all the way to the end of the game. And like a, a Martin Wallace game, um, there's this poverty that you accumulate. So imagine, if you will, your, your stacks of your city on cards in front of you. So let's say I have five stacks. Um, every single stack I have will generate poverty at the end of running my city. And every card in hand will generate poverty. And at the end, and every loan I take to get money will generate poverty. And at the end of the game, if you have X amount of poverty, you minus that many victory points. Mm, it wouldn't so be a Martin this, Wallace game without loans and it, debt. Exactly. So, you know, I think I was running about 20 poverty the whole game. This, <laughs> this game last night. Um, Rob, unfortunately, I, he was doing really well. And I think he just, he didn't quite get the poverty part. And he ended up going like 45 poverty. Um, <laughs> yeah, he walked over the after game, the game and said he had like oh, negative 50 points. Yeah, he he did a really good job up until that. But the person who has the least amount of poverty at the end of the game, they they don't get any. Their poverty disappears. And then everybody else subtracts that number of poverty from their total. Mm. So and then you do your final scoring. But yeah, it's a it's a really it's not a quick engine building game, uh, but it's a really interesting one with with good trade-offs, I feel. I'm not a big fan of the the ones where you I mean, I like engine building games, but one where you just happen to get a few good card draws and someone runs an engine to the end of the game and it's kind of almost on, you know, autopilot. Right. Um, this one, you really do have to kind of pull cards and look at cards and then you're only going to run it one time and then have to rebuild. So yeah, that was London. Sweet. And you played it three players. What's your preferred player count? Uh, I think three players. I've played it at four. Uh, the game, the card draws get a little, the game goes pretty fast. Two is, is interesting. It's a lot of just. Uh, heads down in that case. But I do like three. The um, mechanic you were describing at the beginning where you mm -hmm. discard into a tableau feels similar. And I don't know if you've played Ethnos at all or Fantasy Realms. It reminded me of Ethnos as but well. It reminds me a little bit of Ethnos because when you play a set of your, you know, whatever cards you're playing, you have to discard the rest of your hand into a tableau that everyone can then pull from. And then Fantasy Realms, I believe, 
if you swap a card, you put your card back down onto the tableau and then people can take that card as well. So that sounds neat. Yeah. I haven't tried uh, Ethnos yet. Uh, Fantasy Realms, I have. And that you're right, that's similar. Because I think Red Rising stole that from Fantasy Realms. And I played a lot of Red Rising. Yeah. Play tested. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really interesting mechanic. I like it. Yeah. Sounds when did neat. London come out? Uh, well, so London Second Edition, I think, came out maybe four years ago. I could I couldn't tell you when the first edition is, but compared to the first edition, uh, they streamlined it down to cards. Where the first edition had a map and it represented London on a map, and everyone thought it was quite Martin Wallacey clunky. Um, but this one, they've, they streamed it down to where the boroughs or the map itself exists on cards that you can buy. And I think that that's, again, a really neat little trade-off. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Sounds cool. Ben, how about you? What have you been playing? Sure. Uh, I've played two games this week. Um, and each one of those, I played two mini sessions. Well, one of them wasn't mini, but... The other one was I played, uh, I'm just going to, I played Gloomhaven and Clank Legacy this week. I'm going to start with Clank Legacy because I know what I said last week. Uh, I know I said that I would be fine never playing Clank again. I'm still on that train. Um, this session was fun. I did enjoy this session. Um, Bill, were you in the Clank Legacy group? No, I was not. I I can't keep track of your friends, John. Um, <laughs> Luckily, I can. That's what matters. Yeah, that is what <laughs> matters. So uh, I guess um, I won't spoilerize what happened, but Jonah, you know what happened because I posted it in the Discord group. Well, you can ask uh, Bill if he minds it being spoiled. Bill, do you mind it being? Do you mind some spoilery bits? Absolutely not. All right. So uh, people listening. Right now, we are starting spoilers for Clank Legacy. Again. I will time. I will again. I will timestamp where the spoilers end if you don't want to hear this. So we played sessions seven and eight. We started a little bit late this week. We started at like seven p.m., which is a little bit late for us starting on a weeknight. Um, and we finished session seven. And we decided to play session eight because we've been doing two games per session. So we figured our final session, games nine and ten, we would just be able to get done with and be done. Perfect. We play we play through the game. Things are going pretty well. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I still, I'm not sold on Clank in general, but I enjoyed the game itself. Um, this round, and I'm still enjoying the little story that we're creating. I think it's fun. And then two of our, well, three, I'm the only one who didn't reach the milestone. I'm one spit, one check mark, because you get check marks for achieving things at the end of the game. I'm one check mark away from achieving gold status, and everyone else is gold status. And when more than one adventurer hits gold status, the two of them can choose to open envelope X. Dun, dun, dun. Envelope yeah, envelope X. Now, I don't know in what legacy game anyone would not open a secret envelope. So That's of course we're just like, game. yeah. So of course we're like, you know what? Let's just open this mystery envelope now. Let's not save it for the next session. Let's just open it now. 
and we open this mystery envelope and I can see, and I know based on how I spoke about the game last week, I saw what it was and I was immediately like, oh God, no. Um, which is fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm I'm going to do it. And it's totally a free fine. base game of Clank? <laughs> no, but if it was, I mean, I would take it. A free game is a free game. Um, out, out of the envelope came stickers that you add on to your game tracking sheet because we added an extra game. Someone came back from the future and was like, I know you have your own problems going on, but you need to deal with this first to reset the timeline and then you can go back and finish your games. So we have essentially just added an 11th game to Clank Legacy. And I'm going to talk about how I feel about that because I don't think that my feelings about this would be solely for Clank. I think any game, regardless of my enjoyment factor, personally, I know Patrick said he really liked this and they thought it was awesome. I don't think I would enjoy any legacy game toward the end of the game saying, hey, let's add more game. Like, I don't... If I have like a set number of games that I'm expecting to play and like in a, in a set amount of time I'm expecting to set aside. I don't think that I would appreciate really any game just saying, Hey, let's add more to what you're doing. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I don't I think if you love the game, you'd be all for it. Yeah. I just, I feel like I wouldn't like it at first and then maybe I would, but in like in this case, it's like, Oh, well we had this plan to get two you know, two sessions done per meetup. And now like that's screwed up. So now it's more time to have to set aside to meet, to play this game. And it was a bit annoying when I first saw it, but it's, I think it's a neat little story element. And obviously I'm going to continue playing. It's not like stopping me from playing, um, but it's a neat little story element to add. Um, but I feel, I found it a bit odd to like add more gameplay time to a game in the middle slash end phase when you're like winding down. But hey, that's uh, that's what happened. That was interesting, I guess. And uh, yeah, so envelope X, uh, that's what it was. And uh, we are done with the spoilers now. 30 minutes and 40 seconds. All right. Perfect. All right. Wonderful. And then how about Gloomhaven? Yeah, and then Gloomhaven, I played some more with Nick online. We did uh, two missions. It is going much better now. I'm very happy that we both changed the difficulty and I changed my character. Um, I still don't see this game as like the number one overall game. I just, it's okay. It's like a good game. I just, I don't see the ama- like hype for it, but I like it and I'm having fun with it, which is all that matters. So yeah, we played two more two more sessions, and I had a good time. I'm definitely definitely enjoying the brute more than the spellcaster person. Though I did get some texts from listeners, both telling me the reason why things are targeting who they're targeting. So they target the lo- uh, monsters I mentioned last week when we're the same distance away. It feels random, and I don't know who they're who to plan for being attacked. It's whoever has the lowest initiative. They get they get attacked. So now we can plan for that. So I told Nick he didn't realize either based on his reaction. So that helped. 
And then I had a nice conversation with Paul because he played the spellcaster and he liked the spellcaster. Like we had a little, you know, so I was like, yeah, it just maybe didn't fit my play style. So yeah, it was, it was good this week. Bill, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but have you played Gloomhaven? I have not. That was the answer yeah, I thought. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to try it sometime. I'm, I'm a, um, I guess the word would be omni gamer. I'll try anything three times. Um, but it just, it's never come up. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, I played a very quick game of Mandala this past week. It was my first time playing that. And Mandala is a two player only game. It even says two players on the box to make sure nobody buys the wrong game. Uh, and it is an interesting game that has, I don't want to say area control. It's kind of a difficult game to describe, but there are two zones on the board and you are adding cards to those zones. And there are six colors or five colors, Bill, I forget. Six colors. There are six, six colors. colors. And when the sixth color is placed into a zone, then that zone scores and you will take turns taking cards from the center if you have both played into that region. And you have a each player has a track on their side of the map that goes one, two, three, four, five, six. And as you are scoring, you are going to take a card and put it in the one slot if it is the first time you've grabbed that color. Or if it is a color you've already grabbed, you will put it in your scoring pile on the, on the side. So what that means is your first card you grab is going to be worth one point each card in your deck. Then the second color is going to be worth two points for each card you have in the deck, etc. up to six. And this was my first play, and I... It clicked, I think, like halfway through when I started to see how things were working. So I liked it. I would very happily play it again. But I do not get many opportunities to play two-player games. There are a bunch that I would love to try, such as Haggis with Bill, or Jekyll and Hyde with Bill, or uh, (laughs) Mandala with Bill, or Ron. But I don't get the option the opportunity to play two player games. So, and Bill, I know you and Gwen really like Mandala, right? Uh, yeah, it's probably in my wife's top hotness right now. Like that's the game she'll like, what are we going to do tonight? And she'll like use her Jedi mind trick to try to pull Mandala off the shelf. Um, I will say, uh, it's worth looking at at some point. It's got a beautiful cloth mat, um, that you play on, which is, it takes an abstract game and makes it a little bit more poppy, right? Kind of pops off the table a bit. So, yeah, it's a good one. I always yeah. lose. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, Ron was... So I was going to play with Ron, and then Ron had to run over and do something in the kitchen, so Matt stepped in, like, round one and a half. But Ron said that you wanted Gwen to play him, like, a week ago, and Ron crushed her. Oh, crushed her <laughs> i loved it uh, mandala uh the next game that i played and i'm just gonna say this next game because bill you played it as well and we can both talk about it i played 
Tokyo Metro Osaka. So the Osaka expansion to Tokyo Metro. I played it with Matt and Ron on Wednesday. And then yesterday afternoon, Bill played it with Matt and Ron. So we took turns playing that. Um, I still like it a lot more than the base map. I think it has a lot of improvements. Uh, the, the main one that I like to talk about is the different number of circles next to the train lines for uh, speculation and for adding speed tokens. So in the base game, all the train lines have two circles. And in this, some have one, some have two, some have three, some have four. So it's really interesting to have a one-circle train line get speculated on very quickly when you might want to put a speed token on it, or also just to have it speculated on blocking everyone else from speculating on it. Or you know, like using a, nice... a speed disc to block the speculation. Yeah, that sounds like a nice little change from the, from the base game. Yeah, so I really like that. I really want to try the bus strategy because there are those two new lines in this map that don't really do anything except for at their endpoints. And I wanted to give them a try, and Ron actually did give them a try in his game with Bill and Matt. So I still quite like the game. There's neat stuff there, and now I'd like to hear what Bill has to say. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, I like train games, uh, just in general. So that already I was already sold the minute Ron said, come over, play a train game. Um, it was good. Initial impression. I, I really enjoyed it. I like the action selection uh, and how many actions and different flavors of actions you had to either get a loan or move the train or buy the buy the investments. Um, was this your first play? So of it? yeah, it was my first play of it. Did you uh, play the base so, game or no? No, no. Oh, so I don't have any. Okay. Uh, um, but I do, I already enjoy the designer's games in general. So I already knew going in, I would probably like it. Um, and I did. Uh, I'd like to try it again, um, just to kind of see see some other levers I could pull. I did think it was interesting. We were within, I think between first and last, we were within like 600 yen of each other. So, it, it and that was pretty good, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Ben, I made the comment uh, last night after hearing that. Well, I asked if they had been bidding for turn order throughout the game, and they said yes. So, you know, if there's only a 600 yen difference in final scoring, then those bids that you were making throughout, you know, sometimes you make a two or 300 yen bid for turn order, and that could have been the difference right. between first and last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Ben, I guess that was your two games. Yeah, that was my two. That was my two games. I was all right, Bill. Oh wait, but I can I can discuss something else real quick. Oh, very sure. quick. I very did quick. finally officially get all of my Kingdom Death Monster miniatures back. All right, and I am so happy. I can't wait to play. So, yeah, that was it. I can't I wait to back. hear about you playing. Cool. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. That was my short interruption. Yeah, Bill, what else have you been playing? Um, well, we could stay on the Martin Wallace kick. Uh, Anno 1800. Oh. So uh, I picked it up on the cheap and 
I heard it was one of the big games last year, so I thought I'd give it a try, and I like it. So it's I think I've played it four times now. Um, but basically, it's a it's another Martin Wallace engine builder, right? You're creating an engine to build up your little island, which is I guess I've never played the video game it's based off of. Yeah, me um, but but the premise is you are an industrialist uh, building up your island through uh, basically almost like a Civ game, uh, expending these technologies to create ever more powerful buying options and, and such. Um, uh, you have a big board, a shared board in the middle of the uh, table, and it's a big tech tree and you use some of your workers to go out and purchase these technologies that you get to place on your little island board that has X amount of slots, which you can fill up. And there's buildings that you basically need to create resources to create new buildings. And they all just kind of compound on each other. Um, You have these ships and docks that you can go out and do trading with, and you trade with everybody else who's at the table. Um, so if, and that's kind of the neat little premise of the game is you do not need to build up your tech tree. You don't have to build up all the technologies because someone else might be building up those technologies and all you need to do is to be able to trade with them. Hmm. Um, so there's an interesting dynamic, um, across the board. There's also a hand management part. You start the game with seven, I think it's seven, seven cards. And the end of the game is when someone ditches all of their cards. Um, and that triggers the end game. But the thing is, as you develop more workers to be able to run your engine, you draw more cards. So you, there's this interesting pull of, do you run a small hand of, of employees and just try to trade with everybody? Or do you get a bunch of employees, get more cards and try to ditch these cards as fast as you can? Because it's kind of a race element. And every card is a victory point to some degree, like three, five, and seven. And so every card you're ditching is victory points. So I think the game I played with Ron, he thought he was losing, but he kept, he had like a stack of cards. And I mean, a literal stack of cards. And he ended up winning just because he, he didn't end the game, but he just kept getting more employees, ditching cards, getting more employees, ditching cards. And yeah, it's a really interesting game. I'm enjoying it. Sorry. Go for it. No, that's fine. Uh, I was just going to ask how this ranks among the other Martin Wallace games you've played, because it sounds like you've played at least five of his games. Right? Have you played I, the Brasses? I've played the Brasses. Um, I think that it's midweight. And it's enjoyable. It's it's a really good midweight game. I don't think it's as heavy as brass which i do think i probably prefer um the gamer in me prefers there's a lot more interesting levers to pull but if i wanted to just sit down and have a good time this is probably my top one Hmm. um it's definitely the hot one for me right now if if we were to kind of rank his game so yeah that was anno 1800 i recommend at least trying it twice i will try it twice to develop an enough. Which yep. brings me to Bottle Imp, which I played with Ron and Matt, and I officially like it. I think it is neat, it is strange, but it is a interesting trick-taker 
And it's crazy to me that it's like 25 years old. I think it came out in 95 or something. Yes, Bill? I I just wanted to ask, could we, as a as a fan of the podcast, could we get a musical intro for when Jonah starts talking about trick-taking games? <laughs> you know? Would, the musical Jonah intro is going to be Ben saying, corner. you can stop listening now. <laughs> no. No, I won't. I wouldn't tell people to stop listening. That's for spoilers oh. only. <laughs> you need to run a Patreon can, just for that. <laughs> we can come up with a little jingle, and I can right. hit it on the soundboard. Listen to someone saying right, "trick right. or treat." Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, that was Bottle Imp. I like it. You know, getting it for five dollars, I'll keep it. It's fun. Nice. Uh, I have two more to talk about, and I will talk about both of them quickly. Uh, the first one is Arc Nova. I wanted to try Arc Nova again because I played it and messed up a bunch of rules, like I said, because I'm a big dumb idiot, and I didn't realize that I couldn't do certain things. So I played it again, played it last night with Jason and Matt, hoping to play by the rules to get a deeper understanding of the game and to also play a faster game after knowing how to play. This game took us two hours and 40 minutes still. It was a three-player game. I think that game is an hour too long, and for a game that is three hours being an hour too long, that's a pretty sizable percentage of the game that I wish to disappear. Uh, It is kind of random in a bad feeling way just you know every card game you play is going to be random because that's just how a deck of cards works and i can't really harp on that too much as someone who likes these trick takers who of course are decks of cards that you get random draws from but in this you have this zoo and you're building these enclosures and i had i think six or seven two space enclosures because you can get an income of two space enclosures. And I could not draw an animal that was size two or smaller. So no matter what I did, I couldn't actually use my zoo. And it just felt like I didn't have the agency that I wanted. Yes, Bill. Do you feel that the game is, because it's the hot one, right? It's the... Oh, it's, it's the interesting. The big hot it's, one right it now. Is, yeah, it's on fire. Do you feel that the game is? And I've heard that same um, critique or criticism. Do you feel that the game is flexible enough to allow you in a three-hour game to get to come back from the randomness or the fact that you just aren't able to do the things that you just spent two hours trying to do? Yeah, I mean. There are other things that you can then go and pivot into. So, you know, if you do some card draw, you can get the sponsor cards, which might take you a different direction. Um, But at its core, you need to have animals in your zoo. And to be unable to do that feels very punishing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that only happened to me this game. And last game, I felt like I was okay with putting animals in my zoo, but it's tough because the map gets smaller and smaller as you fill your enclosures or fill your map with your enclosures. 
And then towards the end of the game, you know, in an engine builder, you are building up this great engine. And, you know, I have all these icons that let me actually build these great giant animals that have all these prereqs. But then at the end of the game, my zoo was so full that I didn't even have space for a big animal that I wanted to house. So Hmm. that's Ark Nova. I don't think I want to play it again. I'm happy that I played it two times. I think it's a cool game. I still like the action selection thing with the sliding over and doing stuff at the power level that they are in. So that's cool, but not a game for me. Have you played um, uh, Civilization, A New Dawn, or whatever the Sid Meier one is? That's, I haven't. It has the same action selection mechanism oh, yeah? in it. Yeah. You should, if you like Civ games and you like that, I think they lifted it straight from there. Hmm. Hmm. You should give it a try. I'll have to try it. Yeah. Uh, and the last game is I ran a game of Blood on the Clock Tower last night. Bill was a member of this game. And it looked to me like people were having fun. Bill was kind of in the hot seat from the start, so it was tough. Uh, I also picked roles for people, and I did not know enough about Bill to assign him a good role. (laughs) So I thought I assigned something great, because Bill, Ron, and Matt were all sitting next to each other. So what I did was I made Bill the Scarlet Woman, which is an evil person. I made Ron the empath, which knows how many of his two alive neighbors are evil. And I made Matt the recluse, which is an outsider that sometimes registers as good and sometimes registers as bad. So this way, Ron would be suspicious of both Ron, of both Bill and Matt, but only one That's of them perfect. was actually evil. And <laughs> there was a lot of uh, accusation flying around over there, but for some reason it all started with Bill. And that might be Misty's fault. <laughs> to be fair, I I straight up said the first, no, everybody's sitting around looking at each other, right? And the first thing I said is, we should kill Ron. That's the very <laughs> yes. first thing I said. You so brought I, it I yourself. Did, yeah, I did, I did start the game like that. So <laughs> I did bring The empath always seems like a neat character to bring into the game just seems like a fun like a fun character to be yeah i wanted to give people characters that i thought they would like so for instance i know that rob doesn't like to lie so i made him a good person that finds out some information it was kind of tough because i gave a lot of people roles that would find out information when stuff happens but then none of that stuff happened and it wasn't even like crazy stuff that needed to happen So Cynthia was the character that learns who dies by execution that day, and then no one was executed. And then after two rounds of no execution, she was killed, and then someone was executed the following round. So everyone's sitting at the table like, I don't know anything. And I'm just like, yeah, but if you all do something, then people will learn a bunch. But it was tough for information to spread. So, you know, At the start, Ron was the only person who actually knew anything. And everyone was kind of keeping their cards close to their chest. So, But that was Blood on the Clock Tower. I'm glad I got to run it for that 
group of people and it seemed like people were having fun. So even if it is a once a year game for that crowd, glad it happened. And it sounds like they're kind of moving forward with the delivery soon. Yeah. So they say, yeah. Bill, do you have any other games before we get to Ben's question of the week? Um, I have one more. Uh, I think you guys might have mentioned it on the podcast a while ago. Um, played a game of Obsession with my wife mm. the other day. Um, have I? Have you, either of you played this? No, but I want to. Okay, I have so, not, but uh, I want to too. You should. Uh, it's nothing new under the sun in terms of things that you've seen if you're mechanically driven but if you like theme i do think that the theme comes out in the game quite a bit and especially if you can kind of lend yourself over to that theme and kind of play along with it it's actually a very well put together game so anyways an obsession just real quickly uh you are 18th century aristocracy trying to pull your family out of kind of a bad out of Martin Wallace's you, poverty. Oh my God. Yeah. Too much poverty. <laughs> 48. Um, but you're basically trying to build up your prestige in the local County by building bigger house, uh, creating a better staff and inviting all of these guests. And so you have, uh, hands of cards that run your engine, which are basically the prestigious guests that you bring into the household that with your staff, then allow you to run the, uh, these different little, um, like a game of whist in the ballroom or, you know, a game of cricket out in your field. And each one of this starts to generate points and money. And you use that to go out to get more prestige or to build uh, more buildings in your market. Um, and the game has a nice arc to it. It, it ramps up really nice. Um, this was a game that uh, I got my wife as an anniversary present because she was born in the wrong century and wishes she was british aristocracy so did you listen to mariah carey's obsessed while you played it as well uh that is a hard pass no Uh, oh i'm sure jason but it's a really good game this game was interesting because we threw every expansion and every card into it so you have this huge bag and i'm making a thing on the video now it's like the size (laughs) of a cassava melon huge bag full of just cardboard tiles (laughs) for two people and you just are pulling all of these tiles out and they're crazy. Some of them are just broken. And the designer even says, we did this just to try it. And just awesome little powers, uh, guests. We threw every card in and yeah, it was, it was fun. I, I, I knew that someone had mentioned it on the podcast. So I just wanted to reemphasize that if you haven't played it, you should give it a try um, it does run long, kind of like Arc Nova long, uh, but I do think that there's a lot of different ways to stay involved in the game, and it's flexible in that way. Cool. So, yeah, that's Obsession. Has Gwen played Rococo? She has not played Rococo. Oh, Sounds boy. like you need to have Maybe. a big day of Obsession and Rococo and... Uh... What else is from that era? Anno eighteen hundred. Lisboa. <laughs> Lisboa, yes. Has she played Lisboa? Yes, 
a big Lisboa game. She would love it. She's a big, uh, she loves uh, Vital games. So like her, her other game that she'll always, she's like, let's play Obsession or On Mars. And I'm looking, I'm like, we have to go put the kids down. I'm so intimidated by On Mars, but I want to play it so badly. Well, fly out. I'll teach you. Oh, that's so easy. (laughs) But sure. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. Bill's a great teacher. You'd make a great combo if Bill teaches you a game because, Ben, you lose every game and Bill loses every game he teaches. Perfect. It's an unstoppable force and an immovable object. Just just throwing it back really, really quickly to uh, Ankh from last week. When Rich sat down immediately, uh, I looked over at him because he was sitting right next to me and I said, Rich, you and I are going to merge this game because we both lose everything and also <laughs> just so that I can yell at you again when we, when we make the wrong moves. Oh, gosh. I I almost won a game where I, did, where I was part of the merge and it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, well, just really quick, as a segue, I'm glad you brought up the theme of Obsession at the beginning and said that it was very thematic, uh, because our question of the week is, uh, what theme for an existing game makes you happy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's our question of the week. I know we just sprung that on you, and I know Jonah has one other surprise question that I don't know what it is, so we'll see how the, that goes. So, theme of a game that makes me happy. Uh, yeah, is there like a is there like a general theme? Like I, I know Jonah loves Cthulhu. Oh, I didn't know that. That's new information. Um, no, he he does not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he That's just why I was ashamed no. <laughs> to admit that I enjoyed Australia at all because I oh, tend to not touch anything Cthulhu with a I, Cthulhu foot pole. I setting trains aside and that sort of economic side of things. I do like economic games. Um, I enjoy, I do enjoy history simulation type games. So if a game leans a little and, and takes care to lean a little into, into history a bit, um, or at least takes the, that space and time or that, uh, technology science stuff and and leans into that and uses that as mechanisms in the game, I, I tend to gravitate towards that. So examples would be like PAX Premier. Um, John Company, I have that coming this hopefully in a few months. Um, uh, Versailles 1919 has, is one. Yeah, I was going to say Versailles 1919. So, but on the other end of that too, um, things like High Frontier, um, you know, uh, you know, Pax Renaissance. So uh, I, I like kind of going through the motions of something that I could then maybe go out and, and read the book. Like, so I just got done reading a book about uh, the East India Company before John Company, before I play the game. So it gives me a little bit more of a, a reason to deep dive something or something I have deep dived in the past and have that's cool. Now I can kind of simulate it a bit. Yeah. I like that. That's neat. How about you, Ben? Um, an overall theme that makes me happy in gaming. Um, well, I do like the Cthulhu games, but I'm not going to say those because they don't necessarily make me happy. But um, I think I tend to enjoy games that have different like 
pantheons, like mythological style games. I know that's a pretty common one, but like Mythic Battles, Pantheon, Blood Rage, Ankh. I hope Ron is listening right now because he has Mythic Battles, Pantheon, and Shrink. Yeah, we talked about that, and I was upset. (laughs) I just want to remind him. Yeah, Mythic Battles, Pantheon, which I think came out. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to our ranking engine episode, but I think it's like number three or two on my list. Um, but yeah, the, you know, those games. And then of course I had to go all in on mythic battles, Ragnarok. And then whenever they do the next one, which is supposedly Egyptian, I have to go all in on that. And you should try and be a play tester for them. That would be neat. I probably, I mean, that might not be a bad idea. Um, but yeah, I, I really like games that have like those mythological pantheons. Cause then I can kind of like bill said, but for a different, subset of history i can kind of go out and you know look into some of those if i don't know too much about you know those things i can go research them i think it's cool to be able to tie in some real world aspect to a game that you play um i never really thought about it in that way before but i i think it's neat when there's some kind of tie-in and you can learn more about the subject matter so yeah all right my answer is kind of a cheat answer but it is true. It is. Uh, the theme that makes me happy is weird stuff. So like stacking people in uh, Catalan, whatever. Catalonia. Castel. Yeah. The game Castel. Oh, I was going to say before, when you were talking about your zoo, I was like, you just need to be able to pick the little kids from Castel. Right. Put them, so, into, <laughs> put them into so the weird. zoo. Weird stuff. Like, I haven't played Cosmic Frog, but I'd love to give it a go because it's a game where you are just, like, giant world-eating frogs. Uh, Who really knows how that works? Um, So all that makes me happy just because I think it's fun to play all these different things that are not trading in the Mediterranean. So it doesn't have to be just something different, but I like the really wacky, zany themes. Yeah, makes sense. Well, next time we play Concordia, we'll just get big frogs. Yeah, and set them and on the board, <laughs> and then you'll be into frogs trading in the Mediterranean. Oh, I like it. All right, uh, Ben, do you have time for me to ask my? I do. Question? Go for it. All right, and then we'll call it after this. So, this should be an okay surprise question because it's an easy answer for most people because it's a memorable answer for most people okay can you tell the story of your least favorite play of your favorite game surely something must come to mind and i'll start off to let you two think when i was living in australia with jessica i went to a board game meetup and I was teaching someone how to play a food chain magnate, and they were looking around the room the entire time I was teaching the game. Uh, This person had approached us after I was like halfway through the teach to some other people, and trying to be the welcoming person that I am, I said, you know, have a seat, I can start over, we were all fine with that. So then I start teaching them this game, they asked what it was about, I told them what it was about. I gave them the, you know, the overview of game length and meanness and all that nonsense. So I started over the teach. 
I teach them the game. They are looking around the room the entire time that I am teaching them this game. And then two rounds in, they say, so how does this game end? When, like, when will this game end? Can, like, someone be eliminated early <laughs> or... And I'm just like, if you want to stop playing this game and go do something else, that's fine. We can start over. And they did. So this person joined our game late, had us restart the teach for them, and then after a round and a half said, no thanks, I'm out of here. And that Good is stuff. my least favorite time playing Food Chain Magnate. <laughs> I can give you my least favorite time playing your favorite game as well. <laughs> sure. I think a lot of people have a lot of those for that game. Um, yeah, no, the very first time that I played Food Chain Magnet, um, <clears throat> I was at Rich's, Rich's old place, and we went upstairs. So there was a basement and an upstairs table, and we went upstairs to play a five-player game. Uh, and four of us were new, and one of us had played before, this being Brian. And Brian, Brian is... Boru? Fi- Sure. Uh, Brian is fairly <laughs> ruthless when it comes to games and also is like the most gifted game learner I've I've personally played with besides Isaac Childress, who learned a game in 20 minutes at PAX and taught us the whole game. But Brian will read a rule book and he'll like pretty much understand the game like from the outset. And we were playing and he'd played before. And to be fair to us, we had said like, don't, you know, don't go easy on us. We want to learn, but don't like go easy on us. And he proceeded to win. Now I just looked it up and like the top score ever in a food chain game that I've tracked was Jonah with like $1,600 or something like that. I was going to say, if it's not me, I'm ashamed. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, that's only because I didn't track this game because Brian proceeded to get like what, how much is in the bank? Like what's like the max you can get into the bank. He had like $3,000 or like $2,000 and the rest of us had like $150 by the end of the game. Like he wow. basically took it upon himself to not make it, not only not make it easy on us, but essentially just make it his playground to do whatever he wanted and destroy every one of us. So that was rough. Uh, that was my experience with Food Chain. My Let very it be first known that I do chain. not do this with anyone that I play with unless they have it was played wild. several times and they say, Jonah, you're allowed to try. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, it was. I mean, I didn't not like have fun, but of the games I've played of Food Chain, that was the worst one. Uh, as for my games, I'm gonna go back to. I can't go with my favorite game because my favorite game is Dracarian, and I've never had a bad game of Dracarian. Um, but I'm gonna go with Kanban <laughs> <laughs> because I play <laughs> because Jonah and I attempted to play Kanban. <laughs> And we got, I mean, to be fair, it was going a little long, so we couldn't actually finish the game, but I've it never didn't go past the attempting to play stage with any listener yeah. game. Even the ones it I've didn't played go fully, well. I think I did. Still did he glaze over? Uh, we might've both glazed over to be honest. It was the very first time either of us had played. And I think we had both kind of glazed over. And then Jonah's disdain of Lacerda games came through and Raged it was just forward. we didn't we didn't we just didn't get we didn't get very far into it and then i'm only i mean i'm not saying that it was bad because i was not like not enjoying it during the game but when i had played another game of it and got through it 
I realized how much I liked the game and how disappointing it was to not get through it. No. So, I mean, I realized how thrilled I was that he was leaving the state, but besides, (laughs) no. Um, (laughs) That was was probably it. Because I don't, I mean, I don't find that I have that many bad play. Like, there's a reason that these games are some of my favorites. And most of it is because I don't have many bad experiences playing them. So I would say probably that Kanban game was just the most disappointing one because I really wanted to play it. But yeah, that was it. I remember having some questions about some of the tiles in that game too that we didn't resolve. And that's never fun to not understand how something works and not be able to resolve it. We did. Well, I eventually resolved it the next game, and it was the opposite of what you were thinking. And now, whenever I explain it, I'm like, "This is the tile that gave Jonah issues. This is what this is what he thought, and I can see how he thought it. This is how the rules say to play it." So, when I was teaching Arc Nova to Matt last night, I was like, "Here's this giant mistake that you can make that I made 80 percent of the way through the game. So let me teach you that you can't do that. And then here's this other one." And, oh, here's this other one. Yeah, sounds about right. So is it. I mean, nothing too crazy, but that was probably the most disappointing of one of my favorite games. So I'm honored. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Bill? I'm, I'm racking my mind. Um, too much joy I, in your life? Well, I, I just enjoyed playing. Um, and so it's hard to sit down and, and not have a good time. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any of my quote unquote top games that I've had bad games of or disappointing games other than maybe I, I did something to myself to lose or something along that lines. Um, could, could I shift the question a bit? That's all we um, do here. So I, Jonah, yeah, Jonah so, cheated earlier. You could cheat now. Oh yeah. yeah. So I like weird things now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I my first play of Dominant Species was god awful. Um, I got introduced to it at a uh, like a guys retreat sort of thing, and it was a full complement of players. And the the friend of mine who taught the game did a horrible job. <laughs> and Is no, this the literally, point where you became it, a rules teacher. He well, it's when I it's when I really decided like I need to read a rule book before I get into these bigger games. Like before I play them, yes, someone can teach me, but I better read the rule book because he he explained dominant species in fifteen minutes, and we were off and running. Oh my god! And <laughs> and that's I, a feat. Yeah, I couldn't give you the specific particulars, but he he basically did not mention that there could be a random card draw event that could destroy your game, and then four hours later, the game is over, for, and you were out in the first 30 minutes because of a random card draw. And I don't have any problem with random card draws. I, I find them fine. They never really bug me in games, but that, not knowing that that could happen really... It happened, and then everybody looked it around, and they're like, oh, yeah, that can happen. Oh, you're screwed for the rest of the game. <laughs> and four hours later, we went on to the next game. So uh, I really like those genre type of games. I like Dominant Species. Now I do. But that was really bad. So, um, 
that and the six player game of viticulture are the two that stand out in my mind. Hmm. So wait, was this with yeah. Jason and Rob? For dominant species? Oh, viticulture. Oh no, no. This was um this was in the height of the pandemic. We got online. Rob and Matt were actually part of that game. And we got together with another group and we're someone picked viticulture and like, oh, we can play a six player game of viticulture. And three and a half hours later, uh yeah, it was You got through the rules good. teach and then you started? Well, everybody knew the game. It's just the implementation online plus the APing that was going on amongst six players really drew it out quite a bit. So I'm amazed that there have been two recorded six-player viticulture games that I have now heard about. I didn't know it was possible to do that. I don't know if people yeah, had any I, drive I don't, to do that. I don't recommend it. If you're going to play viticulture, cap it at four. At the, just cap it at four. Just split into two groups of three at that point. Yeah. yeah. Or don't play it. Smarter. <laughs> yeah. Or don't play it. <laughs> oh boy. So so that's that's my answer. All right. Well, thank you for the secret surprise question, Jonah. Uh and I think that about wraps up this week's episode of Jonah and Ben play board games with friends. Bill, thank you for joining. Uh, glad yeah, to have thanks. you on. Yeah, course, super fun. Uh, I appreciate it. Glad you had a good time. We don't hear that very often. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Jonah, as always, talk to you next time. Yes, can't wait. And then, Bill and I will have to play Haggis soon so we, we can actually talk about it. Yes. Much to your play, chagrin. Play your games and then I'll play mine. And then we'll talk about <laughs> them. Sounds like a plan. With, with guests. Or friends, I guess. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks to Louisa for the great music throughout.